you know back in middle school when they taught us it was three branches of the government we forgot it when we got older it's the judicial the legislative and executive but all we know is the executive that's the mayor or the governor and the president now none of them three people make no laws they just be checking them the laws come to their desk and all they do is say no or yes to it so when the news station tried to tell us that barack obama couldn't put us on we was all saudi at obama when it was the congress members welcome back daytonians this is another episode of Dayton Speaks. I am Christian. And I am Dakota. And we are back with another episode for our special election series. This time, we are happy to be joined by Jocelyn Spencer Reiner, who currently sits on the Dayton Public School Board. Welcome. Thank you. Again, um, you said my name perfectly. I'm really grateful for that. My name is Jocelyn Spencer Reiner, pronouns she, hers. Nice. Um, so that actually kind of gets into our first question, which is, who are you? Where are you from? Where do you live? And how old are you? Um, my name is Jocelyn. I am from Rochester, Minnesota. I was born and raised in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, lived in Casson, technically, but I was born in Rochester. I went to college in Utah when I was 18. I went to Brigham Young University. Um, it used to be Mormon. Um, I met my husband out there. We got married in the middle of college, had a baby at the end of college right before I graduated, and then we moved out here, and we've been here ever since. It's been almost 18 years. Um, I have lived in a couple different parts of the city. I lived in the Belmont neighborhood for 12 years. I lived in St. Anne's for six months, and now I live in the McPherson neighborhood, which is right on the river in a really lovely part of the city. And I'm 41. <laughs> no more 40 under 40 lists for me. <laughs> Okay. What is the job of a Dayton school board member? That is a really good question. Um, I think the expectation of what it is is um, something that I welcome the conversations about because there's a lot of education that um, can happen there. Um, the job of a board member is actually fairly broad and very, very hands-off in a lot of respects. It is not a full-time job and the pay reflects that. Um, there's just a small stipend. That, um, that board members get um, that's capped at, at about $5,000 a year. So it's, it's a part-time job, basically as much time as you want to put into it. Um, most board members have a full-time job um, on the side. And so it's, you know, the, the time that we put into official board meetings and then committee work, and um, I do a lot of relationship building and networking outside of um, the official board meetings. Um, anyway, the job of a board member is to pretty much oversee broad the policy of the, of the school district. Um, the, the job encompasses hiring the superintendent and the treasurer and um, you know, overseeing the financial decisions of the, of the district. The superintendent and the treasurer bring recommendations to the board and we approve them or um, don't approve them. So it's, in a lot of ways, it's a really, it, it's very high level, it's hands off. We're basically overseeing the governance of the district. Um, but you know, we're not in charge of HR. Uh, if you're looking for a job, I can't hire you. I'm gonna send you to the HR department. I'm only responsible for hiring two people. And that's the superintendent and the treasurer. Um, in effect, what, what I see my role as doing is I hire the right people and then I step back and I let them do their jobs. I'm not an educator. I am a mom um, who is really engaged in her kids' schools and community for a long time and decided that I, that I wanted to give back to the community. Um, and, um, you know, I, I don't, um, there's a lot that I've learned in the last couple of years, but I would never say that I'm an expert in education. Um, and most board members aren't. Some board members are teachers and they come from the profession, but we're, we're there to oversee the governance. Okay. That actually um, touches on a, a little follow-up that I had off of 
what you were saying. Um, how much control do you have over what becomes curriculum or you know what is taught in, in the school district? Um, do the does the board make decisions based on that, or is that more up to the superintendent or someone like that? That's the administration's job. Okay. There's actually a chief of curriculum within the district. Mm -hmm. um, our current superintendent used to be um, overseeing. She's a curriculum expert. Um, is this where you're going to ask me about critical race theory? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> we'll get back to that. That's a really good question, yeah. though. Like, that's not our job. I think it's mm -hmm. absolutely the duty of board members to ask questions mm -hmm. and say, tell us more about the curriculum that we that you've you know brought to the board to approve. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about what we're focusing on. Tell us more about our um, culturally sensitive training. You know, I think 100% mm -hmm. is our job to ask questions and make sure that we're going in the right direction, but mm -hmm. we don't say, well, listen, I think 10th graders need to be reading this book or, you know, that's not yeah. our job. Um, the, the interesting balance of being a board member is trying not to micromanage while still like being very cognizant of our responsibilities, right? And that there are different areas as a board member where um, you can have a little bit more, a deeper part of the conversation. Um, I'm chair of the policy committee, which everybody gives me a lot of flack for nerding out over policy, but I think policy is ground zero for the way that we affect um, students' lives. You know, we, we talk in policy and we set policy. First of all, we have to follow the policy passed by the State House, the Ohio Revised Code. Mm -hmm. So we'll get sent policy, and we may or may not agree with it, but it's state law and we have to follow it and we have to officially adopt it into our policy handbook. Mm -hmm. But you know, we can also look at our policy about how we treat LGBTQIA students and staff members. Um, policy is ground zero for how we set expectations and guidelines for how our district is run. And I find that incredibly valuable. And I'm really grateful to be part of that conversation. The question, the previous question was, what was the job of the, of the school board member? Mm -hmm. And this is almost the same question, but like a little more nuanced, a little different. What are some of more of the powers of a school board member? You know, what are more of the things that you can do uh, versus the things that you're required to do? Oh, gosh, that's <laughs> a really good question. Um, I'm sure that tonight when I'm like getting ready for bed, I'm going to find a better <laughs> answer for this. Um, that's a really that's that's a really good question. I think in a lot of ways, um, board members and this is this is a reflection of the way I see my job. So take this with a grain of salt. Um, in a lot of ways, I see my role as a board member as trying to build the trust of the public in Dayton Public Schools. Mm -hmm. um, Dayton Public Schools has had a bad reputation unfairly for a really, really long time. Um, I moved into the city 18 years ago um, with the understanding or with the false understanding that it was a failing school district and you would never send your children there. And when I had to re-examine that was when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my oldest son when he turned five and he was ready for kindergarten. Um, I looked at all of my options. I had three children by then, <clears throat> and I, what, I couldn't homeschool. Um, I, I wanted to, but I didn't, I didn't have the mental capacity or the bandwidth to do it. Yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> Hat, hats off to every single parent who homeschools. Um, I, you know, at the time, um, I was kind of in the middle of like an ideological shift um, that encompassed politics and feminism and religion. Um, and I didn't have a strong opinion about charter schools or private schools or even the vouchers. And so I looked at all the options 
Um, and none of them seemed right. And then um, my sister-in-law suggested that I check out um, Franklin Montessori, which is now River's Edge Montessori. Um, and I said, well, I guess I'm checking out all the options. I need to, I need to, I guess I would be shirking my duty if I didn't mm -hmm. do this, although I'm not going to like it. But then I walked into the school to take a tour, and I was blown away with the amazing environment that was cultivated there. Mm -hmm. And I thought, it, I, I've been told for years that Dayton Public Schools is a failing school district, and I was wrong. Um, and what I want to do as a board member is I want to have those conversations with the public. I want them to trust that we're approaching our decisions with thoughtfulness, with care. And I want them to re-examine their biases that might be unfairly gained and say, listen, I thought Dayton Public Schools was one, was this one thing, but maybe it's not. Maybe I was wrong. So, I mean, that's, I think that's the power of a school board, to build the trust in the public and to have them re-examine um, biases that they didn't even know that they had and so that we can build up this amazing system that we have here that we can defend public education and that we can um, make up a lot of the ground that we've lost over the last how many years because of the the vouchers and the charters and the private schools in the area how do you feel about universal health care what can you do about <laughs> it as a school board member oh uh, so the way i see it is that the understanding that building a strong community means watching out for people around you, right? Um, we know that we pay more for our healthcare system and we have a lower life expectancy. Um, the, the way that our system is set up, the way it's tied to employers, um, the way it is cost prohibitive, the way you go into, um, you, you need healthcare and you don't even know how much it's gonna cost. The fact that, you know, my husband, we have health insurance through my husband's job, um, and it's good health insurance. I'm really pleased with it. But I know that if I got in a car accident or if I got a terminal illness, we would be in trouble. I know that we can do better. I know that there are other systems that can and do better. So super interesting. This is one of the things that I love talking about. Um, and it goes back to the discussions back in 08 and 09 before Obamacare, which is when I was kind of just starting to like read books and find out more about it. Um, <clears throat> there are so many different ways of having universal health care. It's not just one, and it's not a faceless government bureaucrat <laughs> in a room just deciding, no, you do get this medication, or no, you don't get this medication. Right. What it is, is it's the fact that we know everybody deserves health care. Health care is a human right, right? Mm -hmm. And what we need to do is we need to put the policy and the money behind that. Um, so we can do it the British way, right, with the national health system. We could do it the Canadian way. There's the German way where you get, like, an automatic, there's um, universal health care, but the, if you want, like, an extra level of health care, you have, like, an extra private mm -hmm. um, health care that you buy into. There's so many different ways of doing it. We already have universal things. We have universal education. We have universal roads. We have, uni <laughs> we have all these universal systems, exactly. and we are paying more money for worse outcomes there's a better way to do it and it's there's the moral argument for i care about you and i want you to get your health care and there's also the economic argument like we would be paying less if we had universal health care so that is my very long way of saying i 100 percent support universal health care and watching out for each other 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad you talked about like the insurance thing because I just passed my state exam for health insurance. <laughs> and, uh, I can tell you both like the amount of exclusions and things that keep people from getting health care is outrageous. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, wow, do I really want to continue to do this as a job? I mean, right. I'm still going to, but I feel like mm-hmm. I want to use it to help maybe make things better for the right. future. Yeah. And use my input and what yes. I've learned. So, <laughs> but it's just, it's so crazy what could get you excluded. Like you said, a car accident. Yeah. yeah. If you do one thing wrong, that's right. a t- t- exclusion. Nothing. And that's not making bad life choices, right? Like, and even if I got a disease, yeah. it's not my fault. Yeah. Um, I absolutely think that we are not focused well enough on like wellness and how the food that we eat and mm-hmm. the way that we yeah. move our bodies affects our health. But that doesn't mean that we should be punished because we weren't grown up with the culture of, you know, eating and cooking healthy food, right? right? Yeah. Um, and I mean, I will say Obamacare... Um, made a huge difference um it's not perfect right we, it's we know not that. perfect it's not but perfect. it made a big difference right? I, I mean you guys i remember having to fill out the form where you have to write down your pre-existing conditions and that's not mm-hmm. a thing um my little brother um because of obamacare got his cancer detected early enough to treat it wow so thanks yeah. obamacare right and it's 100 percent. it's funny to think like now you know everybody are, is upset and wants better and we know that we deserve better yes but like even on the other side of like because of obamacare we're even here so it, it, like i was too young thankfully to even remember pre-obamacare right. so it was like it's like wow what was the system before right well and yeah. let me point out so i'm vaccinated um i know most of the people that i know are vaccinated mm-hmm. and getting that vaccination meant just going into a place filling out paperwork and getting a shot, getting shot. that was universal health care exactly and i wish that every <laughs> facet of healthcare were as simple and easy as that. Like yeah. maybe we do need to have small co-pays. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there, I think there are so many different ways to approach the subject. Yeah. Um, we don't want to make any sort of financial consideration a barrier to anybody accessing health, but mm-hmm. like just going into the convention center and having my yeah. kids get their shots was incredible. That's universal healthcare. Yeah, I wish yeah. we had more of it. I remember yeah. Christian made a comment on a previous episode about that was like, that's how healthcare should be. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. Every time you stay home, someone is making a decision about you, making decisions about the air you breathe, the water you drink, the food your kids eat, and how much money you bring home every two weeks. So every time you sit out an election, every time you don't show up because you think it doesn't matter, someone else is happy that you didn't show up so they can make that decision for you. Vote. Hey listeners, welcome back. Before we get back into today's interview, we want to go ahead and give you all some events that will be going on in the local area. The first event we got going on is the Dayton Board of Education meeting. It'll be going on Tuesday, July the 27th at 5 p.m., 5.30 p.m. It can be located at 115 South Ludlow Street in downtown Dayton. Also, you can stream these meetings online through Facebook or YouTube. The next event is the Free Lunch by The Journey Project. This will be Friday, July 30th, 12.30 p.m. to 2 p.m. The address is 3520 East 3rd Street in Dayton. The event following that will be the Dayton Silent Disco at the Yellow Cab Tavern. It'll be going on Friday, July the 30th, and it'll be starting at 8 p.m., but the music will not start until 8.30. 
Now, be aware, there are ticket sales. You can buy a $10 pre-sale ticket before the event, or you can pay a $15 ticket at the door. It will be located at 700 East 4th Street in Dayton, Ohio. That is the Yellow Cap Tavern. And just so you guys, you know, the Pizza Bandit will also be on the scene. They are a local food truck. You know, they do make some good food. So go ahead and give them support if you do show up. The next event is the Sip and Shop. This will be Saturday, July 31st, 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. at Brainbridge Hall, located at 267 Brainbridge Street in Dayton. The next event after that will be a community blood drive. It'll be going on Saturday, July the 31st, starting at 9 a.m., going till 1 p.m. It'll be located at the 2nd Street Market. The address is 600 East 2nd Street in downtown Dayton. The next event is Museums of Us, Saturday, August 7th, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. This will be at the Dayton Art Institute. The address is 456 Belmont Park North. Next event will be a soul food fundraiser for mayoral candidate Jeffrey Mims. That will be going on Sunday, August the 8th, starting at 2 p.m. and going on till 5 p.m. Located at 4821 Salem Avenue in Dayton. The next event is the German Fest. Friday, August 13th, 5 p.m. until Sunday, August 15th at 3 p.m. Hours will vary each day and this will be at 1400 East 5th Street. And the next event to follow is the Dayton Potato Festival. It'll be going on Saturday, August the 14th, starting at 12 p.m. and going to 8 p.m. It'll be located at Courthouse Square in downtown Dayton. If y'all don't know where that is, that is right off of Main Street and is very easy to find. And last but not least, don't miss your next few chances to attend community meetings to provide your input on how Dayton spends the incoming $138 million from the American Rescue Plan Act. The next meeting will be on Monday, July 26th at 3 p.m. at Connor Child Health Pavilion, 1010 Valley Street in Dayton. The meeting after that will be on Tuesday, July 27th, 12.30 p.m. at the Downtown Dayton Library, located at 215 East 3rd Street. Again, this is your chance to put in your input on how Dayton should spend the incoming $138 million approved by the American Rescue Plan Act. Welcome back Daytonians, we hoped you liked that little clip from My Vote Don't Count by Yellow Pain. If our background sounds a little bit different, we had to move locations slightly. We're actually recording at the Downtown Dayton Library. Um, there's actually a lot of resources to take advantage of down here. But with that, we'll jump right back into our interview. Um, so, Jocelyn, you just finished telling us about how you feel about universal health care. To push you a little bit on the second part of the question, um, what kind of influence or what can you do um, to have an impact 
regarding your feelings of universal health care as a school board member? So there are a lot of different ways that you can influence as an elected official um, within your role and then there's always um, op opportunities for advocacy outside um, which is something that I do um, at the State House a lot um, not in regards to universal health care but I'll tell you some of the things that we've focused on over the last couple of years that I'm really really proud of so um, four years ago when I was campaigning the first time there was a really good conversation on the campaign trail among all the candidates about the importance of health care in our system um, we uh, have been looking at different models of schools around the country that have school-based health care clinics in them. There is a school down in Cincinnati called the Euler School that does a lot of really good work. It is a public school um, and they have this wonderful community neighborhood school system and part of that includes having a school-based health care clinic that provides full medical and dental and vision. Wow. Right and that was a priority of the board when we came in. Um, you know we know that uh, the disparity between the, the disparity of access to health care is a real problem you know when you are um, working a couple part-time jobs um, you don't always have access to health care um, and we knew we wanted to do everything we could we can't offer universal health care but how can we do the same thing that the Euler school does and so we looked at all the zip codes in the city um, because the zip code in which you're born is a determinant of your life expectancy and access to health care. And we looked at um, the zip codes that have the lowest ha uh, life expectancies and we looked at the schools that we had there. And we picked out um, the school at the time was Dayton Boys Prep. And um, it was at a pretty low capacity in terms of enrollment as well too. And we, we said we actually have space in this building to open a health care clinic. Um, and it's, it was in one of the zip codes that has the lowest life expectancy. Um, and so we opened up a wing of the school and we didn't want to only um, have um, male students have access to healthcare at that point. We wanted to make it a co-ed school. So we turned it from Dayton Boys Prep to Roosevelt Elementary. Mm -hmm. We opened up a wing and we don't actually run the healthcare clinic there, but Five Rivers Healthcare, um, a federally qualified healthcare clinic, um, basically opened a clinic in one of our wings. Nice. Um, we renovated it and we put in all of the equipment necessary mm -hmm. and it has full medical and dental and vision in there. Wow. And every student in the school has access to that, wow. um, regardless of whether they have private insurance or not. Mm -hmm. um, we opened that in the early part of 2020. <laughs> it's still open um, and we we would love for it to be a pilot program and expand it um, to other schools in the district we want to yeah. make sure that every child has access to health care we want to make sure that every child is getting access to dental care which is health care right right and That's vision nice. as well too lots of kids there are numbers and I don't know how accurate these numbers are so I'm not gonna repeat numbers but there's mm -hmm. there's a theory that lots of kids are misdiagnosed with ADHD when in fact they just need glasses right mm -hmm. and they can't concentrate because they can't focus on things wow. and not everybody has the same resources right that's yeah. that's why universal health care is important because we recognize that not everybody has the same access to resources mm -hmm. and what we do is we give the resources to those who don't have it um, and so that's what we're doing um, we open that up super proud of it I'm super grateful to be part of a board and have a superintendent and administration that supports that as well too because a lot of work went into that yeah um, that's we would awesome. love to expand it. Yeah, that's that's really good. Um, really innovative, too, um, to have that approach. And it's, 
it's cool to hear that that's going on. I don't think a lot of people know that. Like you said, early right. part of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I think we might have been preoccupied with other things since, but yes, um, that's awesome to know that that's there, and mm -hmm. hopefully that does become a pilot program that can then grow. Um, last little bit on this particular part. Um, what can you do as a board member to ensure that um, these ideals are not only in place for the students, but also for the staff that, um, that you know, keeps DPS running? In terms of healthcare? Yes. Oh, gosh, that's a good question. I mean, <laughs> I, that's where the importance of policy falls in, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we set our expectations in policy, and yes. if there is policy that we need to review mm -hmm. that talks about um, health care and um, family home leave, that's where that work is done. Nice. And what was it you said? Uh, policy is fundamental, I think. Did I? That sounds <laughs> <Maybe>. good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with it. <laughs> You touched on this a little bit. Um, how do you feel about the LGBTQIA plus community? And what is your track record of engagement with this community? Um, what can you do for them as a board member? That's a good question. Um, I am, I, I support everybody the way that they are. I embrace who they are as they relate to the world. You know, being LGBTQIA plus is part of the human experience. I'm mm -hmm. never going to deny somebody the full range of their human experience, and I embrace everybody as they are. Mm -hmm. um, I have children who um, are on that spectrum. Um, I have two bisexual children. I have one non-binary child, um, and I, I love them. And I'm so grateful that we live in a society that fully accepts them for who they are and gives them resources to embrace who they are. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't always used to be this way. I'm going to be really honest and frank about that. I grew up in a very religious, very conservative, very fundamental mm -hmm. um, community. Um, it took me a long time to come to grips with the internalized homophobia that I've been raised with. Mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of regret for how I used to feel. Mm -hmm. um, and the world has changed drastically in the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You know, when I went to high school, there was only one openly gay person in my high school. Only one. And he was completely ostracized. Um, and, I mean, we know how many LGBTQIA people there are around us um, yeah. and how many, how broad the spectrum is and how we might fit somewhere on that spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I've had to grapple with... Um, the, the way I used to see the community, but I'm, you know, I look at my children and I look at their friends and I look at the community that I live in mm -hmm. and I'm so grateful that the people that are growing up nowadays have this wonderful way of approaching the world and accepting it. And it's, I'm really fascinated to see how that community and the understanding continues to grow. Like we're not done understanding it, right? We're not yeah. done moving <laughs> forward and progressing. I'm sure it's gonna look different in five and 10 years and I'm really excited to see like the next step conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't say, I'm glad, I was glad that you uh, used the word spectrum because uh, I think that's, that, that shows a level of, of, you know, of understanding that is not um, necessarily, you can't necessarily take for granted. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. And I think also, you know, growth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> growth, you know, uh, even I've talked a little bit before in the past on the podcast about, you know, my own journey and, you know, internalized homophobia and all of those sorts of things. Right. But yeah, that's awesome. Um, and so to follow up again on the second part, what, um, 
history of engagement and what can you do as a board member? Sure. Uh, so that's interesting. History of engagement. Which I, I, you kind of just gave us. Describe that to you, me. Yeah, you kind of just gave us that. But um, I guess more in a, in a more in more of an official capacity. Yeah. Um, you know, if you engage with you know the LGBT center mm-hmm. or anything like that, or um, just. At, at everyday life as a as yeah. a community member in Dayton, you know, have you, you know? Right. <laughs> so that's a good question. Um, and you know, there are events that I've gone to that I think are important to go to personally because this is an aspect of our community that I embrace and I support, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, it is also important to symbolically to show up these events too, so people know that candidates support these. Mm-hmm. Um, these these events and organizations um you know i went to pride for a couple different reasons because of my children because of the advocacy um that i uh, that i that i do because of the way that i want to create a safe and welcoming and affirming environment in dps um super proud of the black pride event that i ran into you a few weeks ago that was an incredible event yeah um a good friend of mine um is he works for um Dayton Children's, and um, he is part of the organization that runs the LGBTQIA support group for teens in that, mm-hmm. in that, um, in that area. And I'm really proud of the work he's doing. And he and I have been communicating. And he just actually reached out to me the other day, saying, "What is there any like sort of diversity training that we can do for the DPS board?" Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I invited him to come speak at a board um, at a board meeting. So. I think that there's always opportunity for growth, and you're exactly right. Everybody is on a journey, mm-hmm. um, so I'm a runner, and there's a motto that I have in running, but it applies to the way that I live my life too, and that's forward is a speed, right? Mm-hmm. Not everybody is a fast runner, but as long as you're going forward, you're making mm-hmm. progress, and everybody's in their own journey in life as well too. Um, it's frustrating sometimes to have interactions with people who don't understand the LGBTQIA spectrum the, the same way we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look at every interaction as um, an opportunity to expand their understanding mm-hmm. and to get them on their forward as a speed journey, right? Yeah. Like you never know what will be the one thing that changes somebody's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives me, sometimes I'm not always as patient as I want to be, but it gives me patience to say, you know, we're all on our own journey. Some people are a little bit further along or going a little bit faster. Yeah. Um, one of my children had an experience where they were not treated um, as respectfully as they should have been. Um, and we addressed the issue and we, we communicated with the, the people that um, treated them that way. And my child, I thought it was a good conversation, um, but my child was frustrated with how they weren't completely up to speed with where they are. Now, mm-hmm. my child is, um, <laughs> they're in a community that is really progressive, um, mm-hmm. and so they're very far along in their journey with understanding LGBTQIA. Yeah. And, I, and I told my child, I, we're, we're doing our best to educate people around us, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like you and I are running a marathon <laughs> and we're already on like mile 16 and these people like are just starting their couch to 5K. We can't expect them to be where we are. Doesn't mean we are right. going to lower our expectations and standards. We still expect them to treat us with dignity and respect and treat you with dignity and respect, right? Mm-hmm. But we can't always expect for them to fully understand this yeah. like my journey is 41 <laughs> years in the making and I'm sure I have progress to go so yeah. it's difficult yeah. we want everybody to be treated with dignity and respect mm-hmm. it takes some people <laughs> long to get there, doesn't it yep yep 
So our next question is, how do you feel about pay inequality and what can you do about it as a school board member? That's a good question. Um, one thing that we've been talking about very publicly is the livable wage, um, which is an interesting conversation to be a part of and also to see other people have in other spaces, right? Um, I absolutely believe that every single person should have the ability to get paid um, a livable wage. Um, it's interesting to see the conversations happen around like what exactly is a livable wage? Is it fifteen dollars <laughs> an hour? I don't even think like fifteen dollars is an hour right, uh, is enough. Yeah. Um, you know, we again forward is a speed. We have to make progress and we have to look at the policies and um, and the standards that we set for ourselves. Um, we have been talking about as a board uh, about passing a resolution to say we will pay every single employee in our district a livable wage. Um, I think understanding the dignity of the work that people do is really important. Um, there are some jobs that take a higher level degree of training, and this is where the like the utopian ideal comes in, right? Like if you go to grad school or med school, you know, my brother is um, a doctor and he went to med school for years. Um, and looking at like the pay disparity, I, I just got my undergraduate degree. Um, and you know, wh what ultimately do we value in society? Where do we put our money? Um, there are leaders of organizations that have been doing this for a very long time um, and they get paid um, sometimes huge amounts and then sometimes you know large amounts and mm -hmm. um, I think it's a good conversation to have um, I am firmly in support of paying everybody in Dayton public a livable wage how do you feel about global warming and what can you do about it as a board member <laughs> you know it's interesting because so many of these questions I like them mm -hmm. and it forces us to re-examine micro versus macro choices, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think, you know, it's it's so easy to say, well, we can't control this. You know, but this is, I can only control small things. Mm -hmm. But I think that divorces us from the larger conversation about how we exist within macro systems and how our micro choices yeah. all just add up into a larger system that we, you know, we throw <laughs> our hands up in the air and say, I can't do anything yeah. about that. When you know, it, it takes a lot of re-examination. Sometimes it, you have to sit with a lot of um, discomfort, which is not fun and not easy. Um, I don't know how anybody can deny that um, climate change doesn't exist. Um, the storms and the rains and the extreme heat waves. Um, I, we We see a world where the physical embodiment of this disruption is finally in the forefront and we can't deny that it's there. It scares me. It scares me to think about what this world will look like in 20, 30, 40 years. Um, my kids are their typical Gen Z in that they say, I'm never having children because you know, the planet <laughs> is burning up. And I say, I don't blame you. Like It's really terrifying. And yeah. I don't know when we'll be able to actually make a difference when our society collectively will say yeah. this has gone enough and will it be too late I look at the work of activists like Greta Thunberg mm -hmm. and Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and the work that they're doing and I'm so grateful for the voices that they're adding to that I mean they're saying things that th these are not new conversations right but they're right. finally large collective public conversations mm -hmm. um, 
It's terrifying. Uh, I think that what we ha can do in Dayton Public Schools is we can have a responsibility of looking at the way in which we're part of the environment. Um, are we, so it's difficult because I think to a large degree, our small scale, people are blamed for their small micro decisions when it's the larger systems, right? Mm -hmm. It's not the fact that we use straws. It's the fact that we have large corporations that um, dig for oil and that it, it's, it's a corporate Mm -hmm. um, large collective problem as well but consumers are told that it's their choices that are actually making these large-scale decisions mm -hmm. and, and having this effect um, but you know we can say are we being responsible with the resources that we have are we looking into ways that we can incorporate solar power are we you know taking out our fluorescent bulbs and using LED I think that's part of it I don't think that it will end there I think that's the part of the the start of the conversation our <laughs> next question is oh my gosh I forgot about <laughs> all this question is this relevant I uh, ask it anyway. Okay. Sure. <laughs> I might sure. say it's not relevant. <laughs> How do you feel about Garden Station? And oh, what Garden can you do Station. about it as a board member? You know, that's actually one of the things that um, <laughs> I was not engaged locally in the political local sphere at that time. It mm. was right before my engagement. So there's a lot that I don't understand. And so I'm not going to answer it with the. I'm not, I'm not an expert on right. everything. And I, that wasn't a conversation that I was part of. Mm. What I do see with things like Garden Station is the, the desire for people to feel heard. And I think this is a relevant question, right? Mm -hmm. um, so much of what I want to do is be the, lead an organization and be the type of person that says, um, I value your voice. I might not agree with you, but I'm gonna listen to you and maybe have a conversation. And I think that's where people, that's what people crave. They really want to know that there are people that think and care and think very thoughtfully and deeply about things and are willing to have conversations that might be uncomfortable, that they're willing to, to say, listen, I understand exactly how you feel. Let me, let me tell you my perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Like at its core, it's recognizing other people's humanity. Yeah. How do you feel about police reform and criminal justice reform and what can you do about it as a board member <laughs> Wait, what's this? so we're watching the the looks like a it? Um, the paddle party? wagon is the paddle, paddle wagon, wagon is going by mm -hmm. us yes. um i admitted this to somebody the other day i've never been on a paddle wagon what? and <laughs> they I, I never, I don't think I ever want to be on a paddle wagon, but I think if I get on one, I'm going to have so much fun. <laughs> okay, I can tell you, all of those are true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I forget the question. <laughs> right? <laughs> you need um, to add to your questions, how do you feel about pad uh, paddle wagons? How do you feel about paddle <laughs> Police reform. <laughs> okay. All right, um, yes. Um, how do you feel about police reform, criminal justice reform, and what can you do about it? So it's undeniable that there is a disparity between the way police treat black and brown and marginalized community. Um, I think that we have a response, as a, as a white woman, I have a responsibility to listen to other people's experiences and not discount them and say, well, that's never happened to me. I would never say that to anybody else. Um, and so I listen to people who have very personal stories and have um, feel a legitimate um, a, 
you know, a very real danger when they go out in public. And I'm cognizant of the system that has been deliberately designed to create that. Um, I think the conversations about police reform are really, it's, it's interesting to watch the different conversations, right? It's interesting to see the different level of comfort or discomfort that people enter the conversation with, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Um, it's clear that responding with police as the first response is usually a bad idea. Um, I remember um, when I was a teenager, my parents' house got egged, right? And we called the police, and the police came out to like ask us questions about like, did you see any suspicious activity? And I didn't think about it at the time, but you know, when we when the police reform conversations really picked up last year, um, thinking that was completely unknown. Like, why would they send somebody <laughs> with a gun to our house to ask about who egged our house, right? Yeah. Like. Um, the, I think part of the conversation around police reform needs to talk about universal health care and universal mental health care and access mm -hmm. to that, right? Like so many people, um, the police are called on them because they don't have enough health care and access to mental health care. They don't have the, the medication and the support that they need, right? Mm -hmm. And we've created a system that um, further mar marginalizes people that are already marginalized. Mar marginalizes them and then it punishes them for having very real human reactions right um there was just the study was it new york so i'm going to be the typical um insufferable liberal and say i saw this headline on twitter the other day <laughs> <laughs> it's me <laughs> but was it new york where they you know instead of sending police out as a first response mm -hmm. they would send out social care um, yeah. social workers yeah. and it is reducing violence it is reducing crime I think that's what we want, right? We want people to feel safe, and we want people to be safe, and we want to um, have a system that values people and isn't afraid of them and um, treats them humanely. Um, I, I think that we absolutely, we would be a better society if we looked at how we respond to emergencies, if we weren't always fearful. Um, and, and we changed our, put our policy and put our money behind understanding a different approach. Um, I will never understand, so my, my dad grew up on a farm and um, he was an Idaho farmer. And so like he- Did he grow potatoes? <laughs> well, uh, yes. And <laughs> of course, that's what you do in Idaho. Um, but his comfort level with guns is different than mm -hmm. one I'm with, right? Like I was raised with guns, but I'm, I've never been comfortable with them. And I have lost family members to gun violence. Um, and it is entirely preventable. I think that there are organizations that are doing really, really good work um, I think Moms Demand Action is doing a fantastic job. Um, I think every town is doing a really good job. The fact that we had a mass shooting in an elementary school years ago and it didn't lead to significant police or um, gun reform um, it is, I think, it is a condemnation of where our society is. Um, I will never, what I was trying to say is I'll never understand the fear that people have that leads them to having guns on them at all times, right? Like I was saying, my dad's, my dad grew up with guns, he was comfortable yeah. with guns, and I was around guns when I was, when I was um, living at home, but I'm not comfortable with them. I don't feel like they make me safer. Mm -hmm. I've never felt the need to have a gun, I, and I don't understand the, the constant fear that people have. Yeah. Um, I think that there are laws on the books in different places that are so detrimental to the way that we approach 
the idea of safety, right? Like the standard ground laws, I think, mm-hmm. killed so many people. Yeah. Um, I envision, so I think part of being a progressive is seeing a better world and how do we get to that better world. And I, I envision a place where people have the resources to um, things that actually make them feel safe, that, that actually make them safe. Mm-hmm. I think that we can have a conversation about the perception of safety that actually leads to us living <laughs> in a less safe world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that we can do better. I know that we can do better. Um, and part of that is having, I hate the term common sense because it's been weaponized. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I'm going to use it here. Yeah. Um, having common sense gun laws, mm-hmm. um, like you have to have your gun locked. It can't yeah. just be, there's, the in Ohio, um, the law is your gun has to be secure, which is not locked. It's up to the interpretation of the owner, right? Right. Um, uh, my, uh, we had an interaction with um, a, a person a number of years ago where my kids were going to their house and then I found out that they had unlocked guns and unlocked ammunition. And I said, my children are never going to go in this house again. I'm not going to mm-hmm. break off my friendship with you. Mm-hmm. I know what kids do. I know what kids are yeah. capable of. Yeah. Even smart kids who have been raised with gun safety, right? Like, right. And that's when I found out. I looked up the laws in Ohio because I was like, this can't be legal that your gun isn't locked. Mm-hmm. They kept unlocked guns and unlocked ammunition in their house. And their yeah. kids knew where they were. Mm-hmm. And that loophole to say that the law that says your guns must be secure, that's not common sense gun laws, right? Yeah. Like. Guns need to be locked. Ammunition needs to be in a different place mm-hmm. and locked. Yeah. Um, I think there's there's a lot that I don't know. I won't pretend that I know all the ins yeah. and outs of gun safety and gun legislation. Mm-hmm. I know that we we have access to guns that are inherently designed to kill many people in a short amount of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that children die of accidental gun deaths all the time. Mm-hmm. And I know that people who don't have access to mental health resources that they should die by suicide by a huge number in this country mm-hmm. and that's okay that's not okay i know we can do better i value human life to um accept that this is as good as it can be you just got to make sure you take those safety measures and just not a lot of people do that absolutely and i think that there's a conversation too along with the personal responsibility i think lawmakers have a responsibility to say what reduces gun violence right mm-hmm. um i think there are things we could do that are incredibly unpopular, but what you need to do is you need to be just like your license to drive a car. Mm-hmm. You need to have a license to own a gun, right? Yeah, um, you need to pass a test and you need yep. to get it renewed. You need to have liability insurance if you have a gun. Yeah. So yeah. that if somebody yeah. gets hurt by your gun, you are yeah. legally responsible for yeah. that. Um, I think that would go a long ways. You know, there's the carrot and the stick approach to how we like change people's behavior, right? right. Um, People are cautious when they drive their car because they're legally responsible for getting in an accident. And I, if we had the same sort of approach to gun safety and gun legislation, that could change a lot of people's behavior. Yeah. So I'll make this analogy, <coughs> and then you can ask your next question. But um, you know, if if my kids, if one of my kids is hitting the other kid with a stick, I'm not going to give the second kid another stick to defend themselves. <laughs> I'm going to take the stick away and say, this is not something that you're responsible enough to handle right now, right? Mm-hmm. Like there, right. I, I think that we have a responsibility at looking at the, the laws that we have and saying the outcomes that this is causing aren't actually making our society better. Um, how are we respecting the, um, the human 
the human value of our lives enough to decrease gun violence, whether it's by accidental shooting or suicide. I just, how many people is it enough? How many people will have to die before we say that we have a problem and that we have not um, approached this with common sense and mm-hmm. with um, understanding that we're not keeping people safer? Like the answer isn't more guns, more guns. right? Yeah. <laughs> they think it yeah. is. I like that analogy. I'm going to store that one. <clears throat> How do you feel about voter suppression, voter road dumping, and gerrymandering? And, of course, what can you do about it? <laughs> Very relevant questions. Um, I mean, I think we need to, part of valuing other people as they are is valuing their voice mm-hmm. and their ability to vote as a voice. Um, and I would never um, delegitimize somebody's ability to vote um, because they would vote differently. I 100% support the fact that everybody has the right to vote. And there's some conversations there about um, do we take away the right to vote when you've committed a felony, right? Um, is that actually something that we want to do as a society? <clears throat> so what I'll say about voting is everybody has a voice and everybody should have their voice heard. Um, I think it's as simple as that. Even if they vote differently than um, how I would vote. I support their vote, their their voice and having their, their vote being heard. Um, I am in full support of all the um, voter registration efforts. Um, I am watching what the um, administration is doing out in D.C. Um, and then what Congress is doing out in D.C. I'm really hoping that they can make some serious reforms in regards to voting rights. I think the decimation of the Voting Rights Act has had huge repercussions and will continue to do so. I'm really hoping that um, enough lawmakers, particularly, you know, the two that are not in favor of (laughs) um, getting rid of the filibuster can understand the importance of the moment that we're at right now. Um, We have an opportunity to make sure that we're securing the right to vote for more people in this country. Um, whether it goes far enough is another conversation. Um, but I think if we recognize the value of people's votes and then we don't gerrymander their districts so that their <laughs> votes are irrelevant, um, yeah. I think that that would make us a better society. If your ideas are strong enough that they can, um, that you don't have to gerrymander your district, that you don't have to suppress the vote, then you should be able to stand on your ideas, right? I'm a Democrat, and I'm unashamed of saying I'm a Democrat. And if Republicans can only win because they suppress other people's votes, then their ideas shouldn't win, right? You should be able to live in a district um, and um, get elected by strength of your ideas. And if your ideas aren't good enough, then change your ideas, right? How do you feel about public transportation? Oh my gosh, as we're looking at this parking lot, there's a mile of asphalt right outside the window. So I love living in Dayton. I love living in a city, um, and with the full realization that Dayton is a small city, right? Like, yeah. I, what I love about Dayton is that it has almost everything I want. You know, it's got some art, it's got some good restaurants, but mm-hmm. it's small enough I don't have to worry about traffic. Yeah. I, I hate traffic. I've never <laughs> liked it. I didn't, I've never met anybody who likes traffic. Um, I love the fact that, you know, we... There, in some cities, larger metro areas, public transportation is incredible. Like mm-hmm. having this uh, incredible underground system. I love the DC oh metro God, system. Yes. I oh, could yes. just ride yes. it for hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I geek out over it. I think the way that we center our communities based on individual cars mm-hmm. um, is 
unhealthy. I don't think it's good for our cities. I don't think it's good for our green spaces. I don't think it's healthy, like personally, when you, you know, when you don't walk anywhere, when you get in your car and drive two, two, yeah. two miles to Kroger and then you drive home and you don't actually like have walkable communities. Everybody talks about walkable communities <laughs> as desirable, but we're not, we're not interested in actually like changing the way that we live mm-hmm. to actually live in a walkable community. One of the super interesting things about the way our world has changed in the last year and a half with COVID is the way like cities have altered their um, infrastructure, right? Like they've shut down streets, like the Dora district in Oregon, mm-hmm. um, making that street a pedestrian walkway. And people love it. Like they love being able to go out there mm-hmm. and have a drink or have, you know, mm-hmm. sit and eat um, at Salar or Roost and, you know, the, the seating's out in the street. Yeah. It creates a community. Um, it, it's just a really lovely way to live. Um, and I choose to live in a city where it's walkable. Um, you know, I'm a little more than a mile away from the Gem City Market now. Um, and granted, I need to buy one of those cute little like metal shopping carts that you pull behind you because I have four kids. I have to buy a lot of groceries. So like the ability to walk to and from Gem City Market, I still drive there. Right. Full disclosure. <laughs> um, I think that valuing the way that our communities are deliberately designed is important mm-hmm. um, and I would love to see us move beyond a community that centers on cars so. how should police interactions with demonstrators or protesters go mm. should police block roadways or stop protesters no I don't think they should I think if people are not a threat mm-hmm. to others if they're protesting um, I think that right should be upheld. It's as simple as that. Well, couldn't agree with you more. Should Dayton be a sanctuary city? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what steps does Dayton need to take in doing its part in rectifying racial injustice? Ooh. <sighs> <laughs> I know, right? Okay, so... I could go on for a very long time. <laughs> we could talk about the macro systems, and we could talk about the micro systems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that talking about either one of those doesn't absolve the other. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a societal responsibility to look at the way that we exist now. Um, who we are now is a product of who we once were. Right. This system, the city was not created in a vacuum. Um, we don't have east side and west side by accident. Right. <laughs> we don't have white flight by accident. Um, so back in the 70s, when Dayton desegregated and started um, the busing across the city, that's when people left the city. When when white parents, I'm going to change this. That's when white parents picked up and they moved their kids out of the city or sent their kids to private schools. Um, and you know everything that that the city tried to do at that point um, to to provide equity for students and to to fix that um, that problem at the time just created the unintended consequences of parents who had resources and the ability to pick up and move to do so and that's why we have the higher performance suburbs right mm-hmm. um, people deliberately self-segregate they still do um, when parents look at moving to a new area, when even people who don't have kids move into a new area, but they're planning on having kids, right? Mm-hmm. They want to move someplace that has nice. good schools, right? <laughs> the words good schools and bad schools are code words for high levels of poverty and for 
minorities, for black and brown people, for minority and marginalized communities, for deliberately under-resourced communities. Um, and then we punish those communities by saying that we don't want to live in them, that they're less desirable, that they have terrible school systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a responsibility to look at the way our city is set up um, and the way our schools work, right? Like we look at a district and we say, there is a, um, the west side of Dayton has fewer resources and it has for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And if you live in this, if you're born in the zip code, your life expectancy is lower. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna put the healthcare clinic in this part of the city. Like that's equity, right? Mm-hmm. Recognizing that there are communities that have fewer resources by design mm-hmm. and saying we're gonna give you more resources to try to even that out. Mm-hmm. But then as parents, as a white parent, I have a responsibility to say, what am I doing that's contributing to the system, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I told you, Christian, when we had that conversation mm-hmm. months ago, um, there, oh, one of the people that I look up to the most is Nicole Hannah-Jones, who is this phenomenal, I'm sure almost everybody who's listening to this podcast knows her name. <laughs> she was the one who was famously denied tenure at UNC mm-hmm. Chapel Hill, and then they um, reconvened and they offered her tenure, and she said, I'm going to Howard, right? And, <laughs> yep, she, right? and she took Ibram X. Kendi there. And <laughs> no, it was Ta-Nehisi Coates. Oh, mm-hmm. God, I'm sorry. I made that mistake. <laughs> anyway, um, she is just this absolutely incredible journalist um, and really, really important voice when it comes to desegregation mm-hmm. and white people's responsibility in public education. So that's why I read all the stuff that um, she puts out. Her 1619 project was mm-hmm. phenomenal. And it's changed the discourse. That's why we're having these really, really yeah. ridiculous arguments about critical race theory, yep. because she changed the conversation. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> she said this thing that I will always remember. And she said, it is the white parents' responsibility to desegregate our schools. It is my responsibility to say, I choose to send my children to the system and I trust it. And I know that in effect, like I'm, I'm recognizing my complicity in the system and I'm doing my best to mm-hmm. try to break that cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I recognize that the resources that I have that I bring to a community can um, raise everybody else up. Um, this is not to say, like, I don't want to be accused of, like, white woman savior complex. And I, and I understand, like, the weird line that I have to, to draw there. But people who have resources are responsible for recognizing their privilege mm-hmm. and recognizing their complicity in a system um, and saying um, white people design segregation and white people are responsible for um, ending segregation. See, they don't want to tell you this. They want you to focus on the president. Now, the third branch is the judicial. That's judges. They the reason why John Crawford and Trayvon ain't had justice. So when Meek Mill got locked up just for popping willies, we blame the judge and not the city. When they let her get voted in, because they ain't know who to vote against. Imagine life on the other. You actually already answered this one. How do you Good. feel about a livable wage and what do we do about it? <laughs> so um, for that question, just see the beginning of the interview. Well, and I'll also say... So many people, um, our system is designed, you know, we have public education that goes up to K-12, right? Mm-hmm. Um, does it go not, does it go far enough? Should we have free public secondary education? Um, I know so many people who, you know, the, the follies of youth, right? Like we don't 
appreciate the resources that we have sometimes when we're in the middle of them and Mm -hmm. you know teenagers are teenagers teenagers are always going to be kids and some kids are going to goof off and take a little bit longer to grow up and you know have a better understanding of who they are and what they want to be in the world and if they do that and they're already like mid-20s and they are but they're not in a a place where they can go back and go to college um, their grades weren't good or maybe they just don't have the financial resources why don't we have like free secondary education we have some fantastic um um you know we have sinclair community college here which is Mm -hmm. doing a really really fantastic thing for the community um and lots of people take advantage of it and i'm really glad that they do but does it go far enough should we have like a free mm-hmm. secondary public education system the way that we do for K-12. Yeah. Do Should we have also, <laughs> I mean, un- completely related to that is yeah. universal pre-K. You know, yeah. when you, yeah. you know, when absolutely. you, when no, you go through, yes, yeah. we should absolutely give resources to everybody who wants to further their life and make, you know, make a career change, yeah. but they have kids or they don't have the financial resources to go to college. And yeah. if we had universal pre-K, not only would we be, like leveling things up um, economically for people who don't always um, have the ability to take advantage of those resources when they're young. Like mm-hmm. we're leveling the field when it comes to women's access to this this sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. As a primary caregiver yeah. and as a woman, I know that my choices have been narrowed because I have four kids. How are you going to pay for daycare for four kids? Granted, my kids yeah. are old now, and I don't have to worry about that. But <laughs> that's an economic issue for mm-hmm. how we can make. The, the economic system stronger by giving resources to women, by recognizing that mm-hmm. many women's choices, they might choose to become parents um, and they, they love that and you know they don't regret it. But it's, it is a fact that um, being a primary caregiver um, narrows your choices in a lot of ways. Mm. So. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> All right. How do you feel about paid parental leave? Ah. <laughs> Will a, you be surprised by saying I support it? <laughs> right. Again, other countries do it so much better than we do. Yeah. Um, again, do we value parenthood? Do mm-hmm. we value the ability to not only, like, once you choose to go back to work, but mm-hmm. do we value people who are just entering parenthood? Do we value the... Um, the importance of parents bonding with their children if that's what they choose, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people know what's best for themselves, whether they want to re-enter the workforce or whether they want to stay home with their children. We recognize that uh, it we're a stronger society if we help them make whatever choice that they want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about drug reform? Um, <laughs> Do you support marijuana legalization? Yes. Um, and criminal records related to crim- uh, marijuana? And then lastly, where does aid for drug addiction fit into your views on drugs? Hmm. I mean, is this going to be a six-hour podcast? <laughs> <laughs> We've been Thank doing... you for everybody who's still listening. I really appreciate it. Right. <laughs> um really really good questions again recognizing that the choices people make in their lives aren't because they are bad people like the choices that people make are a product of the environment that they grow up in right if we have low-paying jobs without access to health care and you have a low-paying factory job and you hurt your back 
mm-hmm. and you you know you might get a pain a prescription for your back but you can't always afford to keep that prescription field filled or it's cheaper to get something off the street mm-hmm. people are going to do that yeah. the reason why we have an opioid epidemic is not because people um, are inherently bad and want to be addicted to opioids. The reason we have an opioid epidemic is because the drug companies overprescribed, and um, lots of doctors um, abused their privilege as doctors and writing prescriptions, and because people didn't have access to proper health care. That mm-hmm. is why we have this problem. Yeah. Now, do we take responsibility as a society and say, we created this and we need to fix it, just like with segregated schools. We created these schools, we need to fix them. Mm-hmm. We created the opioid epidemic and we're responsible for fixing it. We're responsible for giving people, uh, recognizing their humanity and not judging them because they're addicted mm-hmm. to one substance or another. Mm-hmm. Um, recognizing that sometimes making something illegal um, just exacerbates the problem, right? Um, Again, there are different ways of solving this, addressing this issue that have better outcomes. I think when lawmakers look at fixing a problem, I think too often we don't look at the outcomes. We just look at the fixing the thing. Like, what does Mm. the fixing look like? If you actually focus on the outcome and say, what is it that we want? We want a healthy society where people um, have access to healthcare so they're not pushed into this problem, but once they're there, how do we treat them humanely? How do we treat them respectfully? It's having your eye out like on the horizon. Like it's not just what's around you, but it's saying what's possible. How do we get there? How do we respect people? How do we give them resources? Um, I'll also say this as somebody who has a family member who's addicted to heroin and how difficult it's been, how I've seen um, the effects that it has on children. and how we want nothing more than to have this person have access to every single resource. Um, I will never, you know, I, I think the, the availability of Narcan is fantastic. I would never want anybody to die of an overdose, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we care about people. Does our policy reflect that? Um, I support <laughs> I support um, legalization of marijuana. I've never, okay, my this is going to be a total like again i grew up in a very religious community um and i couldn't i couldn't drink i couldn't drink caffeine i couldn't (laughs) i couldn't smoke and i think some of those are actually like really smart decisions like i think you know i don't smoke and i'm really grateful that i have a healthy body and i'm not addicted to nicotine Mm -hmm. um there there are other things that i take a little bit more of a loose approach on yeah let's just say it that way i've never smoked marijuana i've never really <laughs> felt a need to i've had mm-hmm. people offer it but i don't say that like because i'm better than right, people like, who do like it's just you know i yeah. came out of this religious community later in life and so i didn't have access to you know, like it's, right. it's just for a long time it wasn't even an option you didn't right, have access right but then now it's just right yeah. And I'll yeah. never judge anybody for yeah. um, smoking or not smoking. I'll never judge anybody who chooses not to drink or has a drink. Right. As long as, you know, we're making healthy choices. And, you know, yeah. um, I think that there's also a very, very legitimate discussion to be had about the clear benefits of medical marijuana, mm-hmm. um, particularly when it comes to pain management, yes. um, cancer treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is people take this philosophical and many times mixed with religious approach to how we Mm. um, legislate ourselves, right? And I'm not just talking about marijuana at this point. Um, The way that people take their 
personal and religious viewpoints Mm -hmm. and project that onto other people I think is something that's really dangerous and we need to re-examine the way that we do that I'm glad you said that. I I think I've mentioned that once before in a previous episode. (laughs) I ain't got a problem with religion, but some of the stuff you can say can be really dangerous. Right, right. Right. All right. Um, And I think the only part of that was um, drug-related offenses. Um, You talked about about aid for addiction. Mm -hmm. You talked about legalization. So, yeah. criminal records in relation so i don't know a lot about this i actually met somebody at the dayton black pride event and um i was talking with her about it um this is something i don't know very much about um Mm -hmm. i'm i'm interested in hearing more from people who are experts Mm -hmm. about it so if you know somebody i would love to talk (laughs) to them about it there's you know forward is a speed i've Mm -hmm. got you know um what i will say is that uh we should never be known for our worst day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if there is some, if, if, we, if we made a mistake, um, I think there, there's definitely an opportunity for us to acknowledge that we made a stake, mistake and move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and our life should never be shaped by that one mistake. Also recognizing that sometimes people, first of all, black people are prosecuted at a higher rate by far than white people for drug offenses, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is a clear disparity and we cannot ignore that that exists. Um, Also the fact that lots of people who are in um, low resourced communities, deliberately under-resourced communities, Mm -hmm. that is economically the best choice for them. Like again, the way that our communities are is because of deliberately policy, deliberate policy choices so they don't have high paying jobs they don't have health care and so maybe one thing that they'll do is turn to dealing on the side right Mm -hmm. and we understand that that like the detriment that um drugs can have on a community is is there Mm -hmm. but understanding people aren't doing this because they necessarily want to but it's the it's the economic choice that they make right sometimes it's survival versus yes you know getting rich yes yes (laughs) so it's it's this whole system of what is the end game? Do we want people to be forced into a dangerous um, lifestyle? No, mm-hmm. we don't. We want them to have access to good paying jobs and to, to have health care, mm-hmm. to live their lives the way that they want to, you know, with yeah. full economic cho- freedom of choice, right? Yeah. Um, so I'll say this. <clears throat> I think that so many ways that we approach... Um, legislation is too deeply rooted in a patriarchal authoritarian mindset mm-hmm. and if we rethought that mm-hmm. if we approach things with a different mindset we would have a better world that's overly simplistic I know <laughs> but um, I think that there are probably a lot more people who know more than I do about mm-hmm. this and I would yeah. love to hear them on the legislative branch, yeah, they the ones that make the laws. Yeah, they the ones right how much food stamp money you get on the car. But when people that wanted to help us, wanted the job, I know they probably lost. Cause we ain't even know their name, we ain't know their face, we ain't know it all. So the Congress or the State House, that's legislative, they make laws. So what we want from the president is what they do. Okay, y'all? See they election every two years, but we don't never even go to those. And welcome back everybody. Thanks again for listening to our little musical break of Yellow Pain, My Vote Don't Count. Please make sure to go give him some listens, likes, do whatever you need to do to support him. He is a local artist. Now, back to our interview. So we're getting up to the last few questions before we get to our favorite part of these interviews. (laughs) 
Um, our question is, are you registered to vote and are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> yes and yes and yes and yes and yes. I remember when I turned 18 and I was excited to register to vote. I was a Republican then, um, <laughs> but I'm still just excited to do it. Um, I now vote in every single primary and every single mid-year and every single general election. Um, when my oldest kid turned 18, I got him a voter registration form and you guys, you should have seen his face. He was so excited to register to vote. I have a stack at home for all of his friends for when they turn 18 because heck yes, if you come in my house and you eat at my refrigerator, you're going to be registered to vote. <laughs> um, so yes, of course, for our listeners, if you are not registered, um, or if you're not sure, you can easily go to voterlookup.ohiosos, that's Ohio Secretary of State, ohiosos.gov, um, slash voterlookup um, to find out if you are. Again, that's voterlookup.ohiosos.gov slash voterlookup to be sure if you're registered. And if it turns out that you're not registered, you can go to ohiosos.gov slash elections slash voters slash register to register. Um, we do this because in Ohio, this is a state where you need to make sure because unfortunately we participate in voter roll dumping. So once again, ohiosos.gov slash elections slash voters slash register. All right. So are you ready for the fun part? Sure. I'm nervous, <laughs> but let's do this. Okay. No need to be nervous. Um, so what we're going to do is move into our word association. We will give you a one or two word um phrase or your statement or something like that and okay. then you give us in one or two words the first thing that comes to mind okay all right all right first word is mental health <sighs> i think it's undervalued That's and i'll and, and i know i'm gonna go here into mm -hmm. a tangent and go I, ahead. Know, I already <laughs> um i'm grateful for the ways in which um covid has opened up the ability for us to talk about our mental health um, on a larger scale, we've been making progress for a very long time, um, and it used to be so much more stigmatized. I think it, it still is very much stigmatized. Um, I have family members, um, and um, lots of family members struggle. Everybody struggles with mental health issues in one way or another. Um, recognizing the trauma that people go through, generational trauma, um, recognizing the things that aren't the result of trauma, um, but very real, you know, brain chemistry issues. Um, I'm grateful for the ability for um, me to be open with my children and with my friends about my own mental health struggles. Um, I'm really grateful that we live in a society that has made progress. I don't think we're there all the way. I think we have a long ways to go in terms of being able to publicly um, talk about our mental health struggles. Um, I think that's I maybe that's another podcast <laughs> but I've struggled um, and I'm grateful to be, at least uh, have their have the strength and um, the lack of stigmatization to be open with my family members about the struggles that I've had and I hope mm -hmm. that we recognize that as a society um, and recognize that everybody needs support here everybody everybody needs to go to therapy for something yes Literally, <laughs> everybody needs to go to therapy about something it doesn't matter how well we've been raised right it yes. does it doesn't matter Everybody needs more tools in their toolkit for to be able to mm -hmm. to work with um, everything that life throws us. Absolutely, and 
one quick shout out um along very much to tie to this um is there's an event called um siri um where's my therapist i think that's yes. what it's called <laughs> siri, oh, yeah, alexa, siri where's, where's my therapist? alexa alexa where's my <laughs> so yes it's called alexa where's my therapist and it's going to be like a, a a mixer for um people to find a therapist or somebody who might that's work awesome for them. because yeah. i have that so um, can you send me that information? Yes, I want to know that. Yeah. I've been looking. I, I mean, everybody's looking for mental health support nowadays, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I cannot. I am on multiple wait lists for myself, for my kids. I was actually going to say it's, it's, like, it's, it's weird that I can't like, find anybody. I went to one and they told me it's like a three to four month wait. Yeah. And I was like, which is which is a daunting. Yeah, it's a it's a really daunting uh, thought to like. Like, I might not be in crisis, like, today yes. or right now, but that's a scary thought to think, yep. like, somebody who might who might be, yep. you know. But, yeah. <laughs> AOC. <gasps> I love her. Yeah. I love her so much. Can I tell you how much I love her? I, I love <laughs> the way that she effortlessly approaches public service. Mm-hmm. Um, I love her moral compass. She knows what's right, and she has the voice to be able to articulate that. The thing I most admire her about her is she has a gift, and she makes it look so easy. I don't think people realize what a gift this is and how hard it is to replicate. Um, she is a gift for communication and for talking about what she's doing and talking about why she's doing it. Like the breakdown, like uh, let me tell you about like yeah. this is, these are the experiences that I'm having as a new member of Congress. Like mm-hmm. breaking down the like structure yeah. and like the through yes. line of yes. everything. Yeah. <laughs> she is incredible. I admire her so much. Um, I'm not going to be one of the people that says she needs to run for president because here's the thing. She's doing really, really important work where she is. I'm not yeah. ever going to tell her. Listen. I would never tell her what she needs to be doing. But she knows what she needs to be doing. Mm-hmm. But I value the voice where she is right now. Whatever she does, whether she stays there, whether she goes on to do something else, I'm going to follow mm-hmm. her 100%. Yeah. I think the way that she is able to communicate what and how and why she's doing something, I wish I could do that. Yeah. I wish I could do that. Yeah. I love her. Um, Black Lives Matter. Yes, they do. Progressive. Possibility. Mm-hmm. I like that word. Police reform. Necessary. Kamala Harris. I think she's a really good vice president. <laughs> um, it's interesting to... So two years ago, when we were in the middle of the presidential primary, I'm... <laughs> you know, everybody was choosing their team, right? right. Um, I was a full-on, and still am, Elizabeth Warren fan. I'm a Warren Democrat. Yeah. Um I am so appreciative of the groundbreaking that Kamala Harris has done. She's so freaking smart. She's so smart. Um, I think she's doing a really good job supporting Biden. So two years ago, um, (laughs) I made a bet with somebody. Somebody said, you know, Joe Biden's going to win the primary. And I was like, are you kidding? He's not going to win the primary. (laughs) What are you talking about? We have Elizabeth Warren win the primary. You know, like, his time has passed. But he's actually, like doing a really good job like not to say that I don't want him to go further right Right. and not to say that I don't agree with everything he's done but like Mm -hmm. he's he won first of all and I think that's really important Mm -hmm. um 
and he's doing a really good job and I really really admire the fact that he chose Kamala as his vice president I think who we surround ourselves with who we choose to invite into the room really really matters I'm glad that Kamala is in that room um, I don't agree with everything she says I don't agree with everything a lot of people say yeah. but I think she is she is groundbreaking um, and she's a really great vice president okay yeah I um Two years ago, I would I wanted <laughs> I really wanted that uh, Sanders Warren ticket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, guns. <sighs> That's my response. Just a heavy point sigh. taken. <laughs> Feminism. Yes. Mitch McConnell. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. I think a lot of people dunk on Mitch because of his physical characteristics. Like, it's really easy to, like, take somebody that you don't like and make fun of them yeah. and their physical characteristics. <laughs> I'm not going to do that because I think it downplays how he has decimated democracy in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, he has been nothing but destruct- destructive to our democracy. He was open at the beginning of the Obama presidency about his goal was not to not make people's lives better. Mm-hmm. His goal was not to legislate um, thoughtfully and with his constituents in mind. His goal was to make Obama a one-term president. Mm-hmm. Um, the obstruction that he has caused, um, I will never not be angry about um, losing Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the way that mm. we have somebody who was put in place in complete in a complete reversal of the course that had been taken a couple of years later like the hypocrisy yeah. that's there yeah I yep. have such just, just yeah. anger for the hypocrisy and the way that he does not revere like his responsibility as an elected official mm-hmm. yep. I mean it's mm-hmm. yeah he'll have to answer for that someday in some way mm-hmm. um, I don't know what that's going to be but I hope he understands how he's how he's how uh, I, I hope he understands the responsibility he has and his complicity yeah very well said vaccine yes please give me more I'll take all the vaccines <laughs> um, I was pro vaccine before COVID um, the relief that I felt when I got the vaccine there are real medical reasons to not get the vaccine I will never say that people don't have those and there are real like concerns that people have um, I hope that if people have concerns what they'll do is they'll act their, ask their doctor about their concerns and they'll get their medical advice from their doctor and not from somebody online yes please nice <laughs> um, community vital Accountability. Vital. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can I say something? Yeah. About this? So I think a public servant um, also has the responsibility to be accountable for their decisions and for their actions. Um, Mm -hmm. The the decisions that we make um, have consequences on people. And um, this year is really rough. I'm not going to ever lie when people talk to me about serving on a school board in the middle of COVID. Um, I, I have lots of colleagues who are board, board members in other cities um, across Ohio, and we've had lots of conversations. Um, and I don't know a single board member or a single superintendent 
who wishes that we could go back and, and um, has a long list of what we would redo. Um, but I think being accountable for your choices, being willing to, willing to answer for them, mm-hmm. being willing to acknowledge them, I think is really, really important. Um, I have a good friend who um, I had some really difficult conversations with a year ago, and I'll always be grateful for the way in which they pushed me, but they were willing to like hold a space where we were both uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and we were able to have a conversation. And we didn't always agree, mm-hmm. But I'll never forget, like, being held accountable for that in that personal space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't fun, but it was necessary. Mm-hmm. And I hope that every other public servant recognizes the responsibility that they have in doing that. Mm. Thank you. Um, okay. <laughs> Joe Biden. I think he's lovely. He's just... <laughs> listen... He is our president, mm-hmm. and I support him. Nice. Um, he has, he's a lot more progressive now than he used to be. Um, <laughs> I'm really proud of like the stamina that he has. He mm-hmm. had a town hall a few days ago, and I was mm-hmm. really impressed with, he's, how old is he? 76 or something. I hope when I'm 76, <laughs> I have as much energy as he does. Yeah. Um, I think that he's surrounding himself with really good people. And he's being really thoughtful about who he surrounds himself mm-hmm. with, which is just as important as the way that you serve, right? Mm-hmm. Um, recognizing you don't have all the answers, but that you bring people in that can advise you, and who you bring in and the conversations you have mm-hmm. is just as important about you know how you feel about some mm-hmm. things. Absolutely. Um, I think it's <laughs> important that we not, as much as I love AOC, as much as I mm-hmm. love Elizabeth Warren, it's about policy. It's not about politicians, yes. right? Yes. Like it's not the person, but mm-hmm. it's the policy that's put in place that's Absolutely. actually really important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, affordable higher education. Yes, please. <laughs> yep. Green New Deal. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, these are not very good one word responses. No, I, I, they're great. I mean, I, actually, they're probably <clears throat> the way I would answer some of them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Vote. Yes. yes. Oh my! You guys, I'm sorry <laughs> that I'm not giving better answers. I told you I'm really bad at word association. <laughs> hey, Voting I mean, is power. 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 Okay. Um, socialism. It's not as scary as you guys think it is, and I'm not talking to you guys. I'm talking to the people who are listening to us. <laughs> so, it's unfortunate that socialism is just this automatic like buzzword that turns people off, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is not. It is not what people. A lot of people think it is. Um, socialism is the idea that we care about the people around us, right? Mm-hmm. Like we understand that not everybody has the same resources. Not everybody has the same outcomes. Um, recognizing that there are public goods mm-hmm. that make everybody's lives better: public education, universal health care, universal basic income. Like, that's what socialism is. I mean, that technically, we can actually get an argument about what... Yeah. Like, that's not the technical <laughs> definition. Yeah. Um, socialism, though, is like a buzzword. And I wish that it didn't have the negative negativity attached yeah. to it. Yeah. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that we can't get past that, um, that the, I, like, the perception of what it is mm-hmm. into, like, what it really is and how it can benefit our society. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think that people understand that um, talking about socialism isn't necessarily rejection of capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's t- we can talk about the 
the benefits, but then the clear like downsides of capitalism, right? In right. capitalism, there's winners and there's losers. And mm-hmm. if you are in that system, then you have to look at like, if, if you're going to create the system, then how do you help mm-hmm. the people? I don't want to call them losers, but <laughs> you create a system that automatically um, mm-hmm. can reward some people, but mm-hmm. not everybody gets to that place. So how do we, how do we support those people? How do we take care of them if we accept that this is our system? I think that understanding that um, we want a better world and that there are things that we can do to take care of each other, I think is the root of this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're not saying that we can't have entrepreneurship. We're not saying that we can take away like a lot of the great things that come along with capitalism. Yeah. But can we acknowledge the bad things? Can we acknowledge that we can do better? Exactly. We absolutely mm-hmm. can. Oh, next one. The quality. We're getting there. Okay. Bernie Sanders. (laughs) (laughs) So I was never, I've never been fully team Bernie, but, um, you know, I've, I've been a a Warren Democrat, um, but it is astounding the way he has changed the political system and changed our discourse. We owe so much to the way that um, his voice, his really strong voice Mm -hmm. has um, changed the conversation. Um, Super grateful for that. Um, and super grateful for the ways in which we approach different conversations now because of him. And he's got great mittens, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Can't hate when you've got mittens like that. Uh, Last one. 2024. Oh, that's interesting. I, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see who runs in 2024. Um, I'm excited to see the primary process. Um, I love primaries. I think that's where, you know, ideas can really, mm-hmm. you can, you can get really out. get into your ideas and, and talk about the different ways that you want your politicians to approach subjects. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Biden runs for re-election or if he's mm-hmm. going to step down. Mm-hmm. Um, I am looking forward to 24 in a lot of ways. I'm scared of 24. I'm scared that certain authoritarian past leaders are going to decide that they want to run again in the very real destructive way yeah. that they have um, hurt our discourse, hurt our country, um, created a cult of personality. Mm-hmm. It scares me. Yeah, it is scary. Very well. Wow. Um, so, thank you very much. Yeah. Hopefully, you had some this fun with so that. This is so much fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> is there anything that we did not ask you or cover that you would like to say or mention or plug? Or anything you'd like to uh, final thoughts for our listeners? You didn't ask me about reproductive reproductive justice. Come on, you guys. <laughs> we what? 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 <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, again, this goes back to the root of like how we how we view other people and their ability to live their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really grateful that I've had choice over my reproductive choices, my reproductive life. Right. Um, I, uh, this is, this is coming from my own like feminist viewpoint and leaving a very religious conservative community where I wasn't given the freedom of choice when it came to a lot of things. Um, you know, people who are going to have, be pregnant or have children, they know what, they know what is best for them. Um, reproductive healthcare is, should be, um, what is what is it that what is the oh gosh 
I hope you're going to edit this part out because I'm stumbling. <laughs> um, women's rights are human rights, and access to reproductive um, justice, I think, is something every woman or person or person with a uterus ought to have. Everybody needs to have their own choices over their own body, right? It's interesting to see the anti-vaccination movement um, take the um, pro-choice rhetoric <laughs> and turn it on its head without any real examination of what those words mean. This is my body and I should be able to choose what I do with my body, whether I have children, whether I don't have children, whether I have the ability to c control my health care during a pregnancy or not. Um, I know people who have had abortions and don't regret it. I know people who have had abortions um, and later on have had children and have embraced parenthood at that point. Um, everybody deserves the right to, to have a say over what happens with their body. And I would never ever take away anybody's ability to do so. Um, anyway. <clears throat> You should ask everybody on your podcast how they feel about reproductive justice. That's my <laughs> that's my suggestion. I'm just really grateful for this conversation. This is really really fun. Um, this is what I value about what I do, like getting to talk to people about things that matter, how we can make their lives better. Mm -hmm. um, can I do like the shameless politician plug here? Go ahead. I'm sorry, you guys. Plug um, whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm really glad we got to talk about public education. I care very, very deeply about public education and the way that we support that, the way we address it, the way we talk about how it affects equity, the way it shapes our community. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that um, school board work is very unappreciated and undervalued, but it's ground zero of how like policy can affect people's lives, right? And I'm really grateful for that. I'm really grateful to see all the other community members who are um, also pulling petitions to run for school board. I'm um, excited to see who else ends up putting their petition in and who's gonna run. And I'm really excited to be part of, I mean, we have a really good collaborative group right now. Um, we have really good conversations and I'm excited to see how that's gonna change next year yeah. with new board members. I hope that I can do this again. Um, if anybody has any questions for me, um, you can put a link to um, my contact information. Um, feel free to send me an email. Um, I answer all of my emails. Um, I'm just I, I I would love to talk with every single person about the importance of public education yeah. in our community. Um, yeah. So I'm yeah. Nice. Um, so I actually wanted to ask you: Do you think school board members should get a raise? <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that's a really complicated conversation. <laughs> and I like my problem I like is I see the nuance and everything, right? Yeah. Um, it's not a full-time job, and I don't think it should be a full-time job. I think the way that it works as a governing body is really well set up. Mm -hmm. But I also recognize the real financial barriers that creates um, so people don't have the ability to put extra time into it because it doesn't pay very much right um and i think, and like I think four thousand a year it's capped at five, five. yeah and okay. i've never gotten paid more than four thousand a year i think oh. <laughs> um so it's like true public service mm -hmm. um and there's a conversation to be had about whether we should actually be like paying our politicians to be public servants mm -hmm. but then if we don't pay them then people who have access to wealth and resources are going to be people, shuttled people into that right yeah. right mm -hmm. um yeah. i just wish that people um better appreciated the role and I think I'm approaching this from like a 
like a political viewpoint because mm-hmm. I think people do appreciate <laughs> school board but in the political world it's like the like it's the training wheels it's mm-hmm. seen as the training wheels it's right like, like stepping stone yes, to yes. something else yeah um, which is not necessarily a bad thing I think you can be a very good school board member and move on to something after the fact I don't mm-hmm. care why you're serving on a school board as long as you're doing it in good faith and mm-hmm. you're doing it um, dedicated to that job um, right. whether you go on to do it and just serve three more terms as a school board member and then retire mm-hmm. that's fine or whether you use it um, as long as you're doing the best job if you're approaching the job thoughtfully mm-hmm. um, then I don't care why you're there as long as you're committing yourself to the work yeah. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to put kids through college you guys <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> all right so um you have a campaign website? I do. It's jocelynreiner.com, and I have a very weird name, and it's really hard to spell, so I'm going to spell that. It's J-O-C-E-L-Y-N-R-H-Y-N-A-R-D.com, or you can go to my Facebook page, mm-hmm. and there's a link there. Yes, um, and we will, of course, include links and information when we post the, the episode on Facebook and in our group, um, but yeah. Thank you so much for yeah. sitting down with us and joining us. It's very important. Uh, you know, you're a current candidate. We love to get our listeners to know who who's running and get to know the actual person behind, you know, the signs and yeah. the slogans. Yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate this, like, ability that you guys are opening up for people to talk about. Like, not just why they're, like, not just give their stump speech, mm-hmm. but, like, figure out who they are. And yeah. I think that's really, yeah. really important. That's why we break down the yeah. questions the way we do. Because yeah. we've had some listeners hit us up from the past two special election series that they're like thank you so much like yeah. i didn't know much about this person and yeah now i feel like i know them better yep. yeah yep no it's really good i'm really grateful <laughs> for the conversations we've had this yeah. has been really oh good. and um when will people get a chance to to vote in this election oh so yes um <laughs> So I don't, the petitions to run for school board are really late in the summer because mm-hmm. it's a nonpartisan position. Okay. Um, so it's not Democrat or Republican. Um, <clears throat> so they're not due till August 4th. We won't actually know until after that point who's submitted a, po- a petition and then whose petition is certified. Mm-hmm. Um, but the election is November 2nd. November 2nd, November 2nd, November 2nd. <laughs> vote, November 2nd. register to vote, and then vote on November 2nd. Yes. Um, yeah. Awesome. So that's okay. when my easy. name will be on the ballot. That'll be easy for me. It's the day before my birthday. <laughs> November 2nd and then November 3rd is Christian's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, make sure you get out and vote on November the 2nd. Thank you again so much for sitting down with us. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Once again, this is Jocelyn Spencer Reinard, who is current a current uh, school board member and is running again in this year's election. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Okay, listeners, thank you for tuning in for this episode. Once again, this is Dayton Speaks. I am Christian. And I am Dakota. And we have spoken. Imagine life on the other side. Roads better. Schools better. Everybody get their license back. Grocery store food better. Custody of your kids back. Homeless people get new shelters. If we gon' fix the U.S., we gotta start with them two letters. Me and you. Somebody told us that the government wanna keep us broke. But the only reason why those people in the government is cause we ain't vote. And I ain't talking about the president. I'm talking about the ones we ain't know. See, they was gonna try to keep it low. But it's gonna hurt them when they see the pros.